science and making us sung. Rob a cushion, tap they did drum. I ain't DOC, but that's the formula. Cartier's cut to cover the cornea. Pineapple, cush, that's aroma. Her with vegetables like cornucopia. With fruit like the garden eating. The eyes are eating. Especially when your boy is speaking. When I'm thinking, I ain't inking. But somehow, some way the words sinking. That's fruit for thought. I spit fire when the thoughts spark. Ghost writer for high if you need support. I got lies so dope, you don't need to snort. All right, guys, welcome back to ES3, and we are coming in. Uh, tonight happens to be Game 6 of the World Series. The Dodgers currently up 3-2 to two, uh, in the series, but Tampa Bay winning 1-0 right now in the bottom of the second, which tells you we are recording this episode on Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. Um, so far... Uh, it, I mean, I'm the only one with any skin in real skin in the game. Being a Devil Rays fan, um, it's not going how I want. You know, Marquilio, you were just talking about how you thought it was going to be uh, destiny for the Rays. Uh, what what have you seen from the Dodgers so far that that says that you know this door might be closed for Tampa and LA's for the taking? Well, yeah. First of all, let me just say I, I, I thought I thought the Dodgers would win. But kind of just watching the series, um, as I was kind of alluding to before we came on, um, game four made me feel like it was kind of destiny for Tampa Bay to win uh, with Brett Phillips and, and, and his walk-off base hit. And just kind of how, how, how um, what was that? How do you pronounce Randy his Aaron name? Rizzo- 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 <laughs> yeah. Arizona. But um, once he was able to score, it kind of seemed like destiny. It kind of put me in the mind of like, um, you know, I'm not I'm not greatest with baseball, but I always look back and I always try to kind of inform myself. And, and it made me think of like the, the 2003 Florida Marlins, because, of course, you got, you know, you got a smaller um, you got small a, market team. You, know, you don't yeah, have small the market small market yep. team. And, and, and it's just you. You, you want to vote for them. You want them to pull through, and you want them to have the Cinderella story. But it's just so much that they're going against right now, and it's so many bats that they're going against right now. Um, you talked about what they were facing right now. I was looking at something on TV, and the, and the Dodgers is making history right now, just even with how, they're, how, they're, how their postseason is going. 59 runs with two outs. Most in MLB history, 62 extra base hits. Most in MLB history, 43 runs with two strikes. Come on, man. Most tracks since 1974. They're up against a lot. And um, I know Tampa Bay has a great bullpen. Do they have a, they have a yeah. good bullpen? Yeah. They're yeah. pitching by committee yeah. tonight. Um, but also the Dodgers do right now because they have all guns on, you know, they have they have everybody pretty much, and if they get through with tonight, now they still have to go against the ace of Welker Billiard, Billiard, Billiard. So it's it's just it's a scary scenario, and I don't know. Um, you know, Tampa Bay is kind of known for pulling out some of those close games, but it's hard to keep it close when you're putting out these type of numbers. So they just got they have a lot to work against. Apple. Yeah, and, and you know the. The frustrating part about watching the game is, you know, you talked about everything the Dodgers 
have been able to do in all the records they're breaking with two outs, with two strikes, the ability to be clutch. Some people say it's an ability. Some people say it's a trait. Some people say you're born with it. Some people say it's developed. Whatever it may be, the, the Dodgers as a team have it right now. And the, the frustrating part as I watch these games is Tampa Bay, one, has been in every single game. And two, they're getting guys on base at a high clip, but they're not producing runs. And that's the biggest difference right now is where you talk about the Dodgers and these two-out runs and these two-strike hits and runs. And that's what the Rays haven't been able to do is get the clutch moments. They had the one with Brett Phillips where he hit uh, the two-RBI error where they were able to walk off um, the other night. But again, last night, the Dodgers just bounce right back. Boom! They just come right back. And, you know, and, and Chris, as the baseball fan that you are, you know, I think back about the run that the Dodgers are on right now. They, they, they lost to the cheating Astros in the series. They've, they've been really good here over the last five years. Probably should have had a couple rings that they don't have. When I look at this team, you know, we, we talked about, in another sport, we talk about LeBron being 4-6 and six in, the, in, in the finals. And, you know, we, we talk about the Dodgers, and I'm talking about the amount that they've lost instead of won. But looking at this window, this Dodgers team reminds me of the late 90s, early 2000 Yankees with just the lineup they can walk out there the pitchers they have taking the mound. And I don't know if there's been another team as close to this that you would look at and go, this team can be a dynasty. Yeah, I'd, I got to tell you, on paper, the Dodgers may be one of the best teams that anybody's ever seen assembled in 2020 here. You talk about the team that seems to be able to get to the app to the top, but not come over the not get over it. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, man, right? You know, I mean, if there's a guy who it seems almost criminal that he doesn't have a World Series trophy, uh, Clayton Kershaw's your guy. Bieber getting it done, I mean, been unbelievable. unbelievable you know, I mean, they're hitting Mookie Betts at incredible off seasons, you know, uh, belly, you know, I always like to see the Yelly Belly commercials, right? You know, uh, Corey Seeger absolutely just crushing the ball in the playoffs here. It is easy to look at the Dodgers and go, this is a World Series caliber team. It is, you can, you, you know, we posted up our our picks as far as the American National League goes. I, of course, did not have the Rays making it past the Blue Jays. When they did make it past, I went, listen, if the Rays make it past the Blue Jays, they have got a chance of going all the way. Um and they did. And they, they're here. They're doing it with a significantly smaller payroll. Um, they're doing it. They're laying out blueprints for small market teams and uh, the, the the money market teams that want to go ahead and try to get things done on the small payroll. They're certainly showing you how. There's a lot of talent on that team. But it is hard when you look at these two teams on paper and try to pick anybody but the Dodgers. I know you're a big Rays fan, Richie. Uh, I don't, you know, I mean, you talked about some of the teams in the past that have been 
super teams like the Dodgers are now. You talk about the 90s Yankees, but I think what the really difference between the Yankees of the 90s and the Dodgers of the 2000s here, Ben, is the Yankees won championships in the 90s. It led to rings. The Dodgers seem to be, you know, it's like they've almost taken the pre-curse um, Boston Red Sox approach to it, right? Where it's like, oh, we're going to, we're not just going to lose, but we're going to lose in spectacular fashion that leaves you going, how did they not win this game? And we're looking at it now, right? We're in game six. Uh, I want to talk about game four, right? It was game four, right? The crazy ending, right? Brett Phillips, a former former Milwaukee Brewer, comes up to play there. You know what it bit? A tight strike zone. I know Richie and I have debated this quite a bit here. Um, because we, I, I talk about how that strike zone opened up for Brett Phillips. He threw they threw one inside. He threw one outside. They were both called for strikes. But in the eighth, this guy was putting down the middle and getting them called balls. I don't know how it happened, but the the events. I mean, you could not plan that better if it was a scripted drama on TV, right? It's hey, they, you know, not only does he hit a double to the gap and he's got to play and there you see him coming around third and you're like, Oh my God, he's got it. And then by the time you realize the guy coming around third, it's fallen on his face. The catcher, the last time the catcher saw him, right? He was on full bore coming around, you know, he'd come through second. He wasn't slowing down coming around third. The catcher took his eyes on him long enough to keep his eye on the ball. By the time he came back at him, he thought he was going to have to make the bang, bang play shoots that ball out and around. And then, Next thing you know, the guy who's just kicking himself for face planting in the World Series is now scoring the you know scoring the winning run. Brett Phillips uh, getting it done. Thankfully, we didn't have to listen to him laugh. But I don't know that the the Rays have got what it takes to get to get the job done long haul. I know you're hoping and praying, but I think the Dodgers are an insurmountable uh, hill this year. I don't with Mookie Betts was just that one piece that, that let him over. Um I don't think that the Rays are going to get it done. I just don't. I think the I think it's LA's year. I think Marquilio is right. I think it's the year of LA, and it pains me as much as anyone to say it. But Jackson, what about you? I mean, are, are LA the new super team? Are the Ray are the Rays the new version of the athletics? Is it Moneyball Central? What's your take on this? So you all touched on a lot of kind of what I wanted to talk about, but the best way that I can put this World Series matchup is that it's David versus Goliath. You've got the, you kind of said it already, the small market team versus this team that's able to assemble uh, as many pieces as they want because they are such a desirable team to play with location-wise, history-wise, um, recent history wise. Um, and, you know, it's really easy to root for a small market team, especially in baseball, um, because of the just how they're built so differently. And, you know, you look at Tampa's Rost, Tampa Bay's roster, and they don't have, you know, multiple free agents that they brought somewhere that were these huge names before they came in. They figured out how to build the pieces. So um, I think that majority of people do want to see Tampa win. I think that, though, and I don't know if you remember this, Richie, but you were the one to break the 
Mookie Betts news to me um, when that happened. And I said, okay, so the Dodgers are just winning the World Series this year. And I mean, because they are just so good on paper. Not it's not just it's not just the bats. They're like pitching, especially you know when everyone's healthy, top down. It's just insane. And roster wise, there's just no other team that competes. But it's about getting it done when you need to. And we know historically over the last few years that's not LA's game. So. I don't give them, in my mind, the win just yet. I think they're more likely to win than Tampa Bay is, but recent history has shown us that that's not their forte. Yeah, I, I mean, I would I would agree with you that you know we talk about they're they're hot at the right time, and you know their bats were basically non-existent against Atlanta. They've now come alive against the Rays, and and baseball, I think. Uh, we've seen more so here, you know, we talk about uh, basketball. I mean, there's certain guys you want to isolate. There's certain guys you want to pick on. There's certain matchups, you know, you want to switch. You, you're going to tailor your offense and your defense to getting certain matchups one-on-one, right? You know, if you're the Lakers, you want to get LeBron on a poor defender, somebody that he can straight up manipulate. In football, it's about, I'm going to put in my scheme. We're going to go out. We're going to run some plays. Okay, we're going to see what they're doing, and we're going to adjust. In baseball, you have a spinning ball that is coming at 95, sometimes 100 miles an hour at you, and your job is to not only hit it, but hit it where they ain't. And, you know, it, it's just Tampa Bay seems to be the team that that everybody has followed. You know, when Joe Madden got there, it was the tinkering of the lineup. It was the shifts. It was the moving. It was all these innovative things that he was doing to try to give them every edge that he could to, to, to just keep them competitive. Well, now that's baseball. That's what we have become. You know, that is what we have come custom to with the game of baseball, you know, and, and in in trying to predict the future, in hoping that they do hang on and win this game, you know, the fi- the NBA Finals was the least watched finals, I think, in history this year. Uh, it, it, the ratings were super, super low. As a baseball fan, look, I, there's a lot of people out there who don't like baseball, but if this game goes to Game 7 and you get to watch Walker Buehler and Tyler Glasnow, two young studs who are going to go out there and they're going to throw gas, and they're going to throw gas, and both of those guys can go six, seven strong innings. Both teams have strong bullpens. If you want to watch an exciting game of baseball, I'm hoping this thing goes seven because that that is going to be a great, great game. You know what was the worst thing about poss- the possibility of this year not happening? I heard, you know, fans in Los Angeles was just going crazy because, of course, it makes me think of when, when Jackson was just talking about earlier when he heard from Richie about Mookie Betts being, tra- you know, being traded there. That, that was just the that was the running joke or just the running assumption that this is the year for L.A. to win. So to see Tampa Bay and for it to get to a game seven, hey, I'm intrigued. I love to see it. It's a it's a fairy tale story. So I have, but I gotta tell you guys, I, I'm not upset about this World Series though. As a matchup goes, I'm certainly not. You know, the Rays, 
Uh, Dodgers are an excellent matchup. It's been an excellent series so far. As we're seeing from game six here, it looks like it may go seven games. I think there's still... Great baseball. Great everything. Batting, fielding. You got Bellinger out there making crazy catches. Bats out there making crazy catches. You got guys tripping, coming around third. You got catchers making errors in the ninth inning. I mean, it's everything you could want from a sporting event. Well, right. And and so as we talk about excitement, I I just want to go into the the next part of this because I have a question for you guys as we talk about excitement. Chris, this is what I wanted to bring to your attention and if, if you can compose yourself to the raw reaction that, that I was hoping to get from you on this question, uh, your second most favorite player, or your second most favorite person on the planet, Rob Menfred, was in the news last week um, making comments about, about the playoffs. And I, I want to get your take because he is talking about how well and when we say well, obviously we're talking ratings and, and money, how well the expanded playoffs worked. Worked, quotes. And how well they're doing. And the talks of this being a permanent fixture as we continue to move forward and continue to change America's pastime in the game of baseball I, I just want to get your take on this was obviously put together for 2020, a one-year wonder that the commissioner ends up thinking is a pretty good idea. Your take on the expanded playoffs. Again, expanding again. Wow. We're just going to start handing out participation trophies at the beginning of the year too? <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's what it's come down to? We're going to – there's uh, – there's 32 teams in the league. We're going to let 16 of them in the playoffs. You know how bad half the league is? I mean, I, I need a second here. I, need a second. I, I, I cannot tell you. I mean, I, really, Jackson, what do you think, man? I mean, well, God. To, to me, from a business standpoint, I think that mo- doing things like this is banking on there being these – great upsets in the playoffs and then that drawing more attention to the sport. That's what I, that's what it comes down to for me. I think, um, is it, a, let mean, me ask you of, this. Is it from, from now? Look, I, I get it. We, we all try to have the, the business logical sense. Hey, this makes sense for these business reasons. As a fan, the brewers did not finish five. Or I, I think we're under 500. They made the playoffs. I know you're a Brewers fan because I've been to Brewer games with you. In the scenario that we saw this year with the expanded playoffs in a short season, teams under 500, as a fan, are you in support of 16 teams in the playoffs? I can answer that for him as his representative. (laughs) He is too much of a Puritan of the sport to even consider the thoughts. So okay, now Chris, you can go. I can't. I, I sixteen team. We're going to put half the league in the playoffs. What is the barometer that we're setting moving forward for these kids? We keep this up. It's going to go. Guess what, kids? The regular season is just what we're going to now call the preseason, and everybody gets into the playoffs, and that's what baseball really counts. I mean, this guy will I mean, isn't do that how anything. The NBA is? 
for Listen, man, Green Bay isn't altering the sport for money. You know, I mean, we're going to have, they're talking, we're going to have robot umpires. We're worried about pitching clocks. It's pace of play. You know what, man? There, He has tried to convert people, and I, I, you know, I'm a statistics guy. I love my quantitative communication, all right? And I am big on I'm trying to connect these things. So I understand that Manfield's very concerned about new baseball fans. Well, let me clue you in. All right. It is almost impossible to convert a person who doesn't like baseball into a baseball fan. In my experience, there are two types of people in this world people who love baseball and people who would rather bleed to death than have to watch a baseball game. All right, and there is no way to turn that one into the other. There's no level of excitement, and it's hard to add level of excitement. I'm glad to see that he thinks it needs to be so competitive over the piece of metal, which is what I believe he called that award, the World Series trophy last time I heard, right? Is we're really doing this over a piece of metal. Well, guess what, dude? That medal is your championship trophy. It is the pinnacle of your sport that you sit at the top of. And to call it and to demean it in that manner tells me what you think about it. I get it. I mean, if I made it a $100 bill, I bet you he'd chase after that thing like somebody, you know, like nobody's business. This guy was Bud Selig's money guy. And come on, man, we all remember the Brewers, <coughs> especially the Brewers of the late 90s. They... It was all about the money, right? It was how cheap can I make this team? They were the lowest, cheapest team. And you know if you got to be Bud Selig's money, man, you are concerned about two things. Eliminating extra costs and making more money. (laughs) Making more money. Dude, I can do this all day. Manfield was not the guy for the job. He was not my pick. And I like Bud Selig. I think Bud Selig did a lot for baseball as the commissioner. This guy was not the right choice. I see more and more. I mean, how long before the diehard baseball fans are walking away from the new game, right? Because I've had that moment, right? I'm having that moment right now where you go, 16 teams are going to make the playoffs every year? What, so the Brewers could stand and go, "We we made the playoffs four years in a row. Dude, earn it. Earn it. What I think it is, and we only really heard you talk about Bud Selig's money because uh, half of you kind of went in and out. But what, what I think the point that Richie's trying to make is just the intriguing aspect of the Cinderella team, the the the, the North Carolina State per se, sure, um, winning the NCAA championship. Even even with Tampa Bay right now, you know, um, Tampa Bay had a great record. Of course, they had a great season, but they don't. I mean, Tampa Bay didn't really strike you. I don't. I didn't think that Tampa Bay was going to have the season that they had. Um, but Tampa Bay, like I said, does kind of put you in the mind of the Florida Marlins and and like the, Tur- the Toronto Blue Jays, or early Toronto. But right, I'm about to say the Blue you, Jays are going you to. You got to. I, I like to say as someone that doesn't always watch baseball, I am intrigued yeah. by different things, Tampa and even just with the with the dialogue that with the dialogue that they have when they mic up players. You know, that that's something that I like to see. I like to get to know those players and get to see how funny some of those guys' interaction is. So that was one thing that kind of pulled me in. I think that, yeah, I think that um, in terms of kind of trying to get 
uh, draw interest from new baseball fans. Um, I think that we're kind of going in the wrong direction by adding more playoffs, more playoff teams, because what are some of the complaints that people have as to why they think that baseball is boring? It's too long. The season goes on too long. There's too many games. It's, It's easy to not keep up with it when, there are 162 games in a season. Now I'm not I'm I like baseball as it is. I'm not for cutting things out. But if you're gonna add more on, you're making people have this greater commitment to it that you're already struggling um, with them keeping in the first place. Yeah, I I, I mean, uh, wow! It looks like Jackson and I are finally on the same team for for a moment here. <laughs> Note to self. But right, no, I, it's at what point does it cease to be baseball? At what point don't we alienate the old school fam, the diehard, right? Because there are the guys, right? We both, Richie, you and I worked at Miller Park, man. We see them, you know, the guys come in for the tours. They're on the stadium tours. They want to catch 50 games at 50 different, you know, as many different seasons, uh, many different stadiums as they can. They make a thing of it. They want to sit there. They want to watch nine innings, uh, all that jazz. And and I'm not a baseball purist. All right. I mean, I'm not, I believe that it is important for the game to evolve with the times. There are things that I believe in that I, I hope will add to the game. I not a huge fan of the designated hitter rule, but seeing it implemented across both the national league and the American league this year went a little smoother, made it feel a little more even than I thought it would be. Um, I could go on about AstroTurf, but no one wants to listen to me drone on like an old man, man. I just want to see baseball stay competitive, right? I want to see you talk about how long the game is, how people get bored with it, how they feel 162. How is adding more games to the playoff a solution to that problem? It's not. You know what it is a solution to? His dropping ratings and a way to increase money and profit for for billionaires. Yeah, and, and not only that, like, you know, you guys t- are, are touching on, uh, you guys, Jackson and, and Chris touched on, um, from the business standpoint, the negative effect that it can have on fans. And <clears throat> Markelio, you touched on the things that, that are making it exciting for you as someone who's trying to watch and learn more baseball. Taking all of that out of it, Chris, you'd mentioned, you know, we've spent... I don't know how many hours of how many days wandering Miller Park. And as a Brewers fan prior to working there, you know, living here, being a fan, watching him on TV, watching him at the stadium, the thing to me about the expanded playoffs is walking in that stadium and I look at the 2008 wildcard flag, which was the first time in my life they had made the playoffs. And I go... That was awesome. CC Sabathia, Ryan Braun hits a grand slam. That's freaking awesome. 2011, then I go, playoffs. Niger Morgan hits a walk-off. I remember watching that on TV. That is awesome. I now have to walk into the stadium, see a wild card flag that hangs for 2020, and go, that piss-poor team made the playoffs? That, to me, is where I draw the line when I'm going, they shouldn't have been there. <laughs> they weren't good enough to be there. And, and, and now, you know, we, it, it was the number one ridicule 
I, I don't remember the year when the Atlanta Hawks made the playoffs against the Boston Celtics and they won like 34 games. People were criticizing the NBA about a team like that should never make it, that there's too many teams in the playoffs if we're letting teams under 500 in. And I think that that's also the case here with baseball. With a sport we're still letting the NFL least make it to yeah. the playoffs. I, I agree. And, and, and again, yeah, and, and we talk about that. Last year, you know, we talk about all the division winners going in, not, not to try to change topics, but last year, that playoff spot that I think ended up going, what was it to the Eagles? That spot was either going to go to the Rams or the Bears because they were the next two teams had the division winners not get the guaranteed clinch because they shouldn't have been in based on their record. And, you know, like, like Jackson and Chris Bolt said, I think when you look at the game of baseball, I, I do think there are more people that either love or hate baseball than there are that sit in the middle and go, oh, I like baseball. I, I think there's more. I love baseball and I hate baseball. Yeah. And versus I, where you sit, Marquilio. And I also don't think that um I I don't remember exactly for the MLB, but for example, in you know, you're talking about the Hawks. No eight seed has ever won the finals. So it's kind of like what is the point of having all of these lower level teams that you know aren't going to do anything. Right. And then we're going to know what it's about. The the only way you can play devil's advocate to that is uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Virginia lost to a 16 seed two years ago for the first time in NCAA history. I'm just saying, I mean, to play devil's advocate. And look at where you had to go to pull out that example. That was two years ago. Now, Virginia right, came back. Right, but you had to go to Virginia Tech. You no, ain't no, even no, in Virginia, the same sport, Virginia, man. the University of Virginia, and then the next year they won the national championship. But, I mean, I, I get right. what you're saying. All right. That that it just... I know we've been talking about kind of the evolution of the game, but one thing that I would like to kind of go back now that I'm kind of looking at the history and kind of seeing some of the things that happened in baseball... Um, is the home run derby, how it was set up, how to have, like, the lineup and just have, like, two hitters come in that week, whether it's, you know, uh, Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle playing against each other. But I think that that would be something cool that they can actually bring back, too, instead of just having, you know, um, that, you know, the weekend and having well, a home run well, derby. And, and I want to touch and, on what you brought in. I, I think that's a great point because the one thing for me – that, in my opinion, set baseball apart. And granted, I get why they took it out. They took it out because of the ordeal with the Phillies 12 years ago when there was snow on the ground when they were playing the World Series. But the All-Star game used to mean something. You know, the the winner of the All-Star game, that respective league was then home field advantage for the World Series. We talk about how bad... And we all know why that happened, too, right? Because a, the All-Star game ended in a tie at Miller Park in, what was it, 2001, and Bud Selig had to call the game, right? I will never forget that if I live to be 100. I could not, I will never forget both managers going over to Bud Selig in, like, the 11th inning and going, we're out of pitchers. Whose All-Star do you want me to endanger to complete this game? And you see Bud Selig just kind of get up and go, nope, 
we're, we're done. And as soon as Bud starts walking away in the stands, you just knew. People started booing. They were like, no, this is ridiculous. You know, how are you going to end this game in a tie? And that's how it. And the next year he decided, you know what? I want to give him something to play for. I'll ensure this won't happen again. And so now we'll be we'll play for something. And now, you now know, I mean, this might again. as well be the Pro Bowl. Right. right. It might as well be the Pro Bowl again. Right. Why? I would, I, if, I couldn't imagine as an all-star, I'd go and play. I'd show up to the event and be like, okay, coach, you can bench me because I just want to sit here and hang out. I'm not going to injure <laughs> well, myself playing this game that counts for nothing. You know? <laughs> to, to, to move into uh, from, from some controversial topics here that, you know, some things that uh, are changing the game of baseball, some steady things across sports is award winners. And this year, some great news, despite how I talk about the Brewers, despite the poor season that they had, um, the relief pitcher of the war, the relief pitcher of the year awards were announced. And the Brewers, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the third or fourth year straight they have won this award as Devin Williams takes home the reliever of the year award trophy, uh, a point three three ERA. 52 strikeouts in 27 innings. Uh, he was an absolute bad, bad man. And, and uh, he didn't get him to beast. play in the playoffs. I'm about to say just an absolute beast, right? Yeah. And, and Liam Hendricks on the other side, winning it for the Oakland A's for the American League. Uh, probably the best closer in the game, as Williams was not a closer. Uh, but good to see. From 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 the Brewers, another representative winning another award, uh, just to add to the accolades we have, and you know, show off some of the talent here in Milwaukee. Um, with that, is was there anything we wanted to to throw out there before we get to our greatest conversation? Anything? Any any closing comments? Well, I do want to say what I forgot to say before that I now remember is that um, I. Putting myself in other people's shoes, you know, you said the NBA Finals was the lowest rated ever. Um, like, I I know why a lot of people are choosing not to watch sports, but, man, they are missing some great, great sports. I mean, NFL is killing it. You got, you got some great games in the playoffs and, the, and baseball, getting to see the heat. Um, like, Say what you will about the amount of people that watched it. Heat versus Lakers, that's a great finals matchup. So um, they're missing a lot. Um, it's It's a, been a great, especially with everything going on, um, it's been able to, it's been great to be able to tune into some fantastic sports. No doubt. But a- as we move forward here, uh, every week, you guys know we have some form of a conversation about a greatest, whether it's the greatest at one position, uh, something related to an all-franchise team, or a top 10, uh, which we did last week. This week, we kind of narrowed it down, and it's going to fit right into this baseball conversation as we we came up with the idea to talk about the greatest catcher of all time. And, and before I, I go into getting your guys' answers, uh, as I'll go right to Chris, with the start, if he unfreezes there, but the the thing that you know, Markilio and I were talking about uh, when when we were on before it was just the two of us. We had talked about the catcher position being much like the NFL quarterback. This position has probably changed 
more than any other position in the game of baseball, maybe the, the, in, coming in a second might be pitching as the speed and the velocity and some of these new pitches that guys are throwing. Catcher, by far, has seen the biggest change in, in just how you measure a great catcher. And so, Chris, I, I want to go to you, uh, the guy who loves the original game. You talked about adapting to the new game. You've seen a lot of great catchers in your lifetime. Kick it off for us. Who do you got? Yeah, um, for me, this was a hard one, man. Uh, that This was my position when I played in high school. Uh, I have a lot of love for it. I think it's one of the most underrated positions in baseball. These guys have to know every aspect of the game. They got to know everybody on the bench. They got to know every pitch that every guy on their bench is going to throw. They have to know what works, what doesn't work. They're really the orchestrators of the game. And as that, I've always found them great. And we have had some incredible ones in my time. With this one, uh, it was hard for me because you talk about some of the guys just in my time, right? We're talking about me being the old man here. We talk about Mike Piazza, right? We talk about Buster Posey. I mean, I, I you know, sad as this is, I seen, I saw both of those guys very early on in their careers, live and in person. Um, you can't seem to walk five feet without holding a baseball conversation that involves Yogi Berra, uh, Carlton Fisk. All of those guys, and I'm saying I'm, I'm throwing all those names out there because I want you to understand the level of greatness in which I hold my nominee this year. And for this one, I had to go with dude Pudge, dude, the man himself, Ivan Rodriguez. All right, I mean the Texas Ranger, right? Uh, I, I know he played for the Marlins, all that. 14-time All-Star, 13 AL Golden Gloves, seven-time. AL Silver Slugger, an MVP award, a championship with with the Florida in there, uh, career 296 hitter, and more so than his ability to call a game for him to work at the bat and the fact that, I mean, and, and, and Budge was not a huge guy, right? Hence why they called him Budge. But this guy had a 46% career caught stealing rate. All right, there that were over three. There were three separate. I'm sorry, nine separate seasons that he caught over fifty percent of runners trying to steal. If you were on first and Pudge was catching the game, I didn't care if the pitcher rolled the ball to him. I would not have run on Pudge Rodriguez. I wouldn't have run on Pudge Rodriguez. I wouldn't have pitched to Pudge Rodriguez. Pudge would have loved me. He loved and hated me. He would have loved to see me because I would have put him on base every time and told him to get it done on the bases himself. And behind the plate, I would have done every single thing he told me to do. Uh, really, in my, you know, and again, I'm a huge Johnny Bench fan, man. You know, my grandfather, huge Reds fans. It goes deep. It was hard for me not to go Johnny. It was hard for me not to go Yogi. Not as hard because, you know, as many of you know, my failure in life is that I raised a Yankees fan. Uh, my son, huge Yankees fan. Absolutely depressing. The Derek, Derek Jeter banners and Yankees flags that have hung in my house brought great shame for many years. He's 20 and in college now, so he's shaming his dorm room with that. But we talk about Great catchers. It's hard to look last. Yogi Berry and the Yogiisms, right? 
You know, I mean, the, the great words of wisdom I really liked. I, I almost enjoyed hearing him as much as I saw as I would have enjoyed seeing him play. I have to go off videotape. Um, but Pudge Rodriguez is mine, and I think that you know I'd be surprised if I'm the only one here to make that selection. I, I'm gonna, right. I was gonna say, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to say Pudge right now. I was going to say Pudge, but you said Pudge. So I'm not going to say Pudge. <laughs> I, I had back. I was going to say, it sounds like Markilio. Mar- I was going to go out on that and think that uh, I was going to assume that, that you had Pudge. Um, yeah. But it sounds like you're, you're wavering thing. now. Yeah, yeah. I got to be different. I got to be different than Chris. Um, the, the, I mean, I, I thought Pudge because I, I – I thought of him and, and just how many still stolen base or the lack of stolen bases that's been taken on him and just kind of the consistency. But it, it was someone that was kind of, I, I wasn't really familiar with it, but just kind of looking up the stats and just kind of looking at the lore. And I had kind of mentioned this um, earlier when I said that career was cut short. But if, if, I, if I'm not taking Pudge, I'm probably taking Roy Capanella. Um, just off of like numbers and just kind of seeing what he's did. Uh, MLB history: only ten players. Brooklyn, that's been, baby. O- only ten players that's been named to the league MVP uh, three times: Yogi Berra, Bar- Barry Bonds, Joe DiMaggio, um, a- amongst some other greats. But Mike Schmidt and Roy Capanella. Um, his numbers probably would have been a lot better if he had a longer career, and, and that's kind of like. When you think of someone like Carlton Fisk, for example, that that had you know all the years um, and, and put in some of those numbers, this he had some crazy numbers with just ten just ten years of playing. Um, let's just see. Unfortunately, of course, he was paralyzed in an automobile accident in 1958, but he probably would have gone down in history um, as being probably the best catcher in in history. Um, when you think of sluggers, you, you, you think of him and Mike Piazza. Um, no one hit better than 273 um, out of him. He was um, five, five World Series appearance. He only won one of them. But just just tremendous, man, just tremendous. Um, what else? He hit, he hit 19 home runs every year, averaging 27 in his eight-year stretch for – playing on the All-Star, or when he played in, or in his stretch of making the All-Star games and All-Star teams. But, I mean, career stats, 276, on-base percentage, 360, slugging percentage, 500, um, 856 RBIs, man, and just, you know, they have the the stat, the war stat, where it relates to the other catchers, and I mean, he would he would have been amazing if he would have played a little bit longer. So for my greatest uh, catcher, I got Roy Capitano. Yeah, that's a hard one to argue with, and a good pick. Sure. So my pick is sort of polar opposite from a catcher perspective as Chris's, um, and it's a name that's already been mentioned. But if you think of catchers in the MLB. Um, you think of a guy, typically in most teams, it's going to be someone who um, you hope can get it done behind the plate and then is a seven, eight, nine hitter for you. Just be in your, in your lineup. Um, won't essentially will do no harm in your, in your um, batting lineup. 
the one catcher in history, really, who's taken that notion and turned it on his head is Mike Piazza. And that's my pick because he was one of the best hitters in the league when he was playing. He would be one of the best hitters in the league if he was playing right now. His numbers were crazy, and he never took his foot off the gas. He was rookie of the year, and he was putting up great numbers until he retired. And the consistency, um, I believe he was a 12-time All-Star. Now he um, he was never a Gold Glove winner, so that, that kind of made me question a little bit because obviously – the that's something that's important for a catcher, but I do take into account too that the gold glove winners are, if you look at kind of the history of it, it's very consistently the same guys over um, long periods of time. And if you're not the best at that, you're not going to get the golden gloves. So I don't hold that against him necessarily. But one thing that I will say about him to kind of leave it off of him is typically, you know, if you ask someone what the toughest thing to do in sports is, the go-to answer is hitting the baseball. And obviously he did it great. But I remember specifically a memory that I have of him, I believe it was in the All-Star game, where he was up to bat and he, in this one at bat, fouled the ball like nine or ten times in a row and until he got it and he got a base hit. But just thinking about the fact that someone can, at playing at the highest level in an all-star game against one of the best pitchers in the league, can get a piece of it every single time until he gets it in play. It was just it was crazy to watch, especially like I said, when you consider how tough it is to not just hit the baseball, but do it against top competition. No doubt, no doubt. Richie, I think that leaves you as the final one today. Who's your pick? So it's crazy because we've done this greatest uh, at one position. We've done all types of greats, and we've come to overlap some. Now, we haven't always necessarily picked the same guy. But this will be the first time on this show that we haven't had two people agree because I don't have any one of the three that you said. And so as I went through initially, initially there would have been three of us that had the same answer because until I changed it, I had Yvonne Rodriguez Pudge highlighted as my answer and I went back and changed it. Uh, Some of the other names that I mentioned before I get to my guy, Jackson, I also had Mike Piazza on my short list. Uh, Chris, I also had Buster Posey, uh, Carlton Fisk, Johnny Bench, Gary Carter. The one name, and this isn't my pick, but I think as I talk about the way the game has changed and the way we look at catchers, I think one of the greatest catchers of all time who is going to get overlooked, and especially in a group of us, because we're all Milwaukeeans and we all hate these players with an absolute passion. I don't think that Yadier Molina gets enough respect from 
baseball people. He is an absolute game changer as a catcher. He's not going to hit 500 home runs or, or anywhere close, you know, like, like Piazza did. He's not going to hit 300 for a career like Posey and Pudge. But the dude is nasty. He's consistent. Nine-time gold lover. But my pick, you know, a, as we talked about, Chris, uh, me and Noah might become best buds because I went with Yogi. Um, I mean, I mean, we talk about what a catcher's job is. And that is to control a pitching staff for nine innings, whether it's the starter, whether it's a reliever, whether it's a closer. And you have to know what all these guys throw, and you have to know how to manage a game. And basically, you're, you're the quarterback when it comes to, to playing baseball. And Marquilio mentioned it. There's not many guys who win three MVPs, but he, he's a three-time MVP winner, an 18-time All-Star. You know, we can talk about the average, the hits, the runs, the doubles, home runs, RBIs. There's one number that I looked at and said, that's all I need to see. 13-time World Series champion. When you can take 13 years of your career and lead a pitching staff, and we're talking an entire staff, through a season, through a postseason, and then through the World Series and come home with the ring, that that, that I, it's I don't know. Almost if, hard to believe that he only played in two All Star games. Those are Bill Russell numbers, right? Right. right. And I was just trying exactly. to. I, I was exactly. literally the reason I. The, well, the reason I paused is because I was trying to think of somebody else who had anything remotely close to it. You know, you mentioned Bill Russell, and and. You know, the only other person I can think of when you talk about coaching and playing would be Phil Jackson. But, but Phil, you know, ended up with six from the Bulls and three from, or fought, what, five from the Lakers. But as a coach, you know what I mean? And so it, it, just to think 13 as a player is, is absolutely uh, unbelievable. And playing what I would consider, uh, I'm with Chris, I, I think the most underappreciated position in the game of baseball and also the hardest position. Dude, to he play. finished in the top four, and I'm just reading this now. He finished in the top four of the MVP voting. I do I do like you giving Yadi a shout out. Um I you know I had considered him uh like you said from the hitting standpoint that's kind of what may and even in the future knock down his legendary status. But he is potentially one of the best defensive players that's ever played. Yeah, the game. and and I actually had to look up. I didn't know this, and so there, there's. I, I was looking up his stats, and so he's a nine-time Gold Glove winner, which which I expected, and and I had already known uh, watching him play against the Brewers for all these years. He's a four-time Platinum Glove winner, and I didn't know. I I had no clue that this was a thing because with catchers. Um, when they win an award, it goes on their chest plate that they wear in games. So, so his, so when you watch him put his his chest protector on, the 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 logo in the middle of whatever brand he wears is is of gold because of the gold glove. He also has one with a platinum, and I didn't know this, but apparently in each league every year, regardless of the position you play, they pick one guy. So if you win a gold glove, you're now nominated for the platinum. And of those guys, they pick one to give this platinum glove to. 
and he's won it four times since its inception in 2011. So, I mean, just to say that, you know, uh, obviously don't, this, this award hasn't been around for a long time, so I'm sure there's other guys who would have won it as well. But, but to kind of be the face of an award uh, is, is obviously an achievement of its own. You know, as we talk about the Lombardi Trophy, uh, you know, the, the O'Brien Trophy. I mean, these, these trophies have names for a reason. Uh, and Yadier is kind of the current face of, of the Gold Glove uh, Award for the catcher position. Um, but with that, to, to wrap up this evening... Uh, going from one award to another, I will say heading into this, I was talking to Jackson earlier and I cannot express how it pumped he was to be a part of Chris's hyped most favorite segment in the history of segments in the history of podcasts. Cause when you light it up and pass it, you don't want that smoke. Because people are putting people on notice, text messages are being sent, phone calls are being made, and they are leaving voicemails. Chris, that tells them what? You don't want this smoke! That's right. We are to the best part of the podcast, the you don't want this smoke play or player of the week. Does anybody have one that jumps off the page that they're feeling? Oh, Marquilio, that absolutely needs to get out there. Hit us, Marquilio. And the reason Marquilio is going first because I feel as if one of you guys are going to take my guy, so I figure <laughs> I might as well just go and get mine out the way. So <clears throat> this week, me being a Wisconsinite, being from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, we had <laughs> we were introduced back into Big Ten football on the twenty fourth, and this week Wisconsin ranked number nine faced Illinois. And I was in for a treat because I'm going to tell you guys, I, I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware. I often tell you this, Richie, my son is like the person that tells me about everything. That's how, that's how I knew about Spencer. That's how, that's how I knew about Graham, the, the young man that we're going to talk about right now. Graham Mertz, 20 for 21, 248 yards with five touchdowns. I, I couldn't believe this now. I've been a Wisconsin Badger fan for a while, and one of the positions that I often talk about, and I wonder why we are not able to recruit the four-star recruits. And for us to get a four-star recruit this year, and he play for the injury, and for him to put up the game that he put up 20 for 21, he was he went 18. We, we talked about Marshall. Uh, quarterback and, and what, what he accomplished earlier this year and how many consecutive passes he had. Well, Graham had what eighteen. He was 16. what he was seventeen 16. out of seventeen. Sixteen. Sixteen. Oh yeah, because he got the record. He tied no, the record, he, right? He was one short. Oh, okay, okay. So that's where seventeen came from in my mind. Yep. But yeah, he went sixteen for sixteen. You know, just starting out, and it, it wasn't an easy sixteen. It was it was precise. He looked good, and I am just—I'm amazed, man, that we have a good quarterback. The the unfortunate part about that, you exactly the yeah, he he now has he now has COVID, <laughs> so <laughs> so that means that he's not going to be available 
for our Michigan Wolverines game. Nope. 21 days. They, they announced today, 21 days. Uh, he is going to be, uh, he's going to be out a minimum of 21 days. The Badgers released today. Um, so some unfortunate so but, but I agree. Three weeks. weeks. He, It'll yeah, be three, three weeks, weeks where we yeah. won't see that smoke. And I, I believe his, I believe his backup, uh, Chase Wolf. He, I think that's his roommate, and he also tested positive. So, so the Badgers are down the top two quarterbacks on their depth chart right now. So we'll see how how that plays out. Uh, but we yeah, run the ball yeah. anyway. But it's gonna There's it's no gonna doubt. matter once no we doubt. once we play against Michigan. But yeah, Graham um, Merch, um, great pick. Graham he was on my short list. You don't want that smoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and Jackson, I, I just man, wanna, we're going to bring it to say, the guest, man. Jackson, I want to let you know that how, how you just saw Marquilio give the excitement at the end there. Uh, we expect that kind of passion when you make the, this. Is, this is like college game day. The celebrity pick, the guy who gets to come on and show his wealth of knowledge and and make people look stupid and the Lee Corso. You know, mascot head. That's that's the type of excitement we expect on the "You Don't Want This Smoke" segment here, Jackson. So hit hit us with that award winner. Okay, so I can guarantee you that none of you have my pick, um, because there's a lot of there's a lot that goes into this pick, um, both from a current standpoint, how they performed, and the outlook that it opens for their future. Um, I didn't expect that I would take someone who was on a losing team this week, which I did. But my, you don't want this smoke pick of the week. (laughs) There we go. Is James Robinson. Now, James Robinson um, put up over 100 rushing yards. He had two touchdowns this week. He got a two-point conversion. He did everything to try and get that team the win. And, I mean, this is a great story. I mean, this is – he's had some great games. He's been consistent, but this was his breakout game. And I don't think that anyone can deny that James Robinson showed that he is going to be a force to be reckoned with in the future. And it's a great story because – you know, he was undrafted and he signed to a team that at the time had a running back that just a few years prior was a top three draft pick, um, if I'm remembering that correctly. And, you know, he took a chance and said, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to stand out, to be the guy. And, you know, he finally got at he finally showed this week the top of his potential uh, scoring two touchdowns. He did have 119 rushing yards was the total uh, almost 150 total uh, yards from scrimmage. Um, And it's just like seeing James Robinson succeed. And it's a testament to um, the Jaguars scout team. Really? I mean, they've got a starting quarterback who's a six rounder, a starting running back who is a, undrafted uh, rookie. And one of my favorite things about this dude is he's not fast. He's not incredibly powerful, but he gets it done. And from a fantasy perspective, 
there is only one running back in the league who ranks higher than him. So that goes to show you how much he contributes week in and week out. And he had his best game yet this week. You don't want this smoke. There we go. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Hey, and just yeah. to add on to that, I do have Robinson in my fantasy football league. But <laughs> let's just say that his, well, how many points did he have last week? He had a, bo- he had a boatload this weekend. But it didn't matter. Because you got crushed? <laughs> yeah. I, I think he had like 30-something. I had like 37 or 38. But, yeah. So, I am a... I'm a Robinson fan. So, Good job. Uh, Marquilio, I'm going to take one out of your boat here, and I'll, we'll let Chris wrap it up. Um, but I took another quarterback who went 20 for 21 this weekend. The only difference is this guy, It look, I, I've, I've complained a lot about Chicago giving up all these picks. You know, we traded up for Trubisky. We traded all these picks away for Khalil Mack. There is one guy that I would absolutely give up the next four years of first-round picks for if that's what it took. He went 20 for 21 (laughs) this weekend, 276 yards in a half of football because they just destroyed Nebraska. Two tutties, 54 yards rushing, and a touchdown. Justin Fields is a bad Bad man, and uh, you know I'm. I am going to give. I have to admit, when I have doubt, and give kudos where kudos are due, and I believe it was this point last year because because the season was in full swing and games were happening and college football's halfway over. I get a text message from our guest here that says, "Is there any chance that Trevor Lawrence doesn't go number one overall?" And I'm like, what? What are you talking, dude? What, what have you been drinking? Because there's what to who? Who who would have the capability to knock Trevor Lawrence from the high horse? And he goes, well, well, where where would you think Justin Fields might be? Well, Jackson, a man's gotta a man's gotta know his limitations and admit when he's wrong, because Justin Fields. What he did this week was he sent a direct message. He went up in them DMs on Twitter. He found Trevor Lawrence, and he said, Brother, you don't want this smoke. Well done, Richie. Well done. I felt that. I felt that. You know what? I don't want that smoke. And when we're talking about people I don't want that smoke from, I had some decisions to make this week myself. All right? I'm happy to see that neither of my two choices this week got picked up on. And as I sit here rolling the you don't want these smoke dice, it's coming up the one and only the beast, the Megatron Jr. himself, DK Metcalf, and his you don't want this smoke rundown of that interception. I mean, I don't know where he came from. I remember sitting there watching that pick, and I'm going, well, there's six points. And all of a sudden, DK Metcalf out of the back of the end zone, like the Incredible Hulk running through a scene in the Avengers, comes flying in to take this guy out. And I got to tell you, I don't want that smoke. I didn't want that smoke in him as a receiver. And I mean, they shut him down all game. I would not like, out of guys who I wouldn't want to cover, DK Metcalf's at the top of that list. I also now can add to the list of things I don't want DK Metcalf doing, 
coming after me full speed from behind. All right? You don't want that smoke. And with that, folks, that brings us to the end of the ES3N Sports Podcast today. Before we go, I will take one minute here. I did tease it a little bit before, but next week we are going to be sending out a post on our Instagram account. If you don't follow us, make sure you do now at the ES3N. That's T-H-E-E-S, the number 3N on Instagram.com. Keep an eye out for our free giveaway post. There is absolutely no purchase necessary. As you remember from weeks and weeks ago, I've got to clean out some stuff to keep my wife happy. As they say, happy wife, happy life. And she is tired of looking at most of my sports crap and it's taken over rooms. I am going to branch out. I've honor of the World Series here. I'm going to give away one of our hometown own World Series heroes. I know he won the winner, folks, but he's a winner in our book. I'm going to do a 1975 Robin Yount Tops rookie card. All you need to do is follow us on Instagram.com. Tag five friends in that post. It will be the giveaway Robin Yount post. You won't be able to miss it. Then make sure to go and listen to our latest podcast on Spotify. Apple iTunes, Apple Podcast, any, uh, really, I think we're on five different feeds now, maybe six. So just go out there, click us on Anchor and find us one. Listen to the latest podcast, find out how you can win some more. And then after next week, because we're going to make the announcement next week, we'll post it exactly when the new episodes come out. When we come to record the new show, which we do on Tuesdays, Monday at midnight, the following Monday at midnight, we will close things down and we will be giving one of the people who have followed us and tag five people on our Instagram account, a Robbie Out rookie card. Now, you do have to live in the United States here. I am not shipping this to Outer Mongolia. All right, shipping costs are on me. I'm not promising you a mint autographed Robin Yacht rookie card, but I am offering you a in good and in okay condition Robin Yacht rookie at no cost to your own. All you got to do is remember to like us on the Instagram. Remember to listen to the podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends because you don't need to listen to win, and we'll get you squared up here. And who's taking care of you? That's right. The ES3N, the Essential Sports Network, hosted by three essential workers. Again, we'd like to thank our guest Jackson today. He's got a new podcast coming out soon. You may hear more from him here. I think we're going to have him because Richie's got some plans for next week. I think Jackson here is going to fill in for us with a little luck if we beg and we plead. He might just make an appearance and tell us a little more about his upcoming show. Once again, folks, thank you for listening to the ES3N, and we'll see you next week.